0: Well, it is my pleasure to introduce my friend and our lead pastor, Michael Hanson. Please welcome him to the stage. Yeah, I left that for you. No, I didn't. I don't know what that is. Thanks, Andrew. Right.
1: Hey, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's great to see all of you. Uh, I don't know if Andrew said it or not, but I get to kick off a new series. You can see, well, actually on your new bulletin, you can see there in the cover, uh, this is a series I've been looking forward to a lot uh, because it's on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm sure for some of you just hearing that those words, Sermon on the Mount, it, it might stir up uh, some thoughts, some uh, some memories, etc. But this is we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, and it's chapters five, uh, six, and seven. You do see the Sermon on the Mount come up in in uh, other Gospels, especially in Luke. There's a big chunk, of, but uh, Matthew's account is the most thorough. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount because it was a sermon given by Jesus on a mount on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. This is an actual picture of the the hillside. You can see in the distance there is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This is an actual picture of the hillside they believe Jesus gave this sermon on. Uh, This picture was taken by our very own Sandy Hutchison uh, on one of our trips to Israel. And that reminds me, ding, 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 that we're going to be doing another trip to Israel. Uh, If that's something that interests you, we're going to be going in January of 2022, which seems like a long ways away, but it really isn't. Uh, So if that's something you'd be interested in, start saving your shekels, and uh, we're going to have an info meeting in January of 2020. So uh, be watching for that. So this is a sermon given by Jesus uh, on a hillside, and uh, it was probably several hours long, and, uh, but what we see in Matthew would be a, a summary of what Jesus said, and, and this is really important. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, the people listening to this talk are, would primarily be Jewish people. And so he's talking to a group of people who are God's chosen people, People that, uh, uh, that God revealed himself to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People that God, you know, chose as his own. People that he gave his law to them through Moses. And what we're going to see in this sermon is that Jesus is talking to a group of people who for the most part would say, yeah, we get it, Jesus. We totally get the law. We totally understand what you're talking about. But Jesus has come. He's going to do some course correction. Jesus has come to teach them to really to redefine or uh, uh, to correct their their interpretation of of the law, of his laws. And if you've ever tried to teach someone something that they think they already know, they are like the toughest, that's like a really tough person to teach. I remember uh, years ago, I was at a gathering of a bunch of worship leaders and we were uh, going around the circle and everyone was introducing a new song, like a song that they were doing at their church that they really liked. And one of the worship leaders was introducing a song that he didn't know it, and the rest of the room didn't know, but that myself and two buddies had written. And so he introduced the song, and after they played the song, uh, you know, everyone was making comments, and, and I uh, spoke up when it got to me, and I, and I kindly said this, and I'm embellishing a little bit just for effect, but I kindly said, hey, uh, you know what, the, the melody in the chorus actually goes like this. And the guy responded to me with, uh, you know, uh, actually, I'm pretty sure I did it correctly. And I responded kindly. I said, no, I'm pretty sure it goes like this. And his response was, no, I'm pretty sure that's the way I heard it on the recording. And I responded with, no, I'm pretty sure that's the way we wrote it before we recorded it. Right, it's sort of one of those "poof" drop the mic uh, things, and to be honest, I felt it was a wonderful thing to do. But uh, but the point I'm trying to make in this story is this guy was convinced that he knew the way the song went because he'd heard it. He'd probably heard it many times over and over. But the truth was, he was wrong. He was off. And so as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, I want to challenge you and and challenge myself. Uh, Could it be that there are parts of God's song, if you will, that we have heard over and over and over that uh, we think we understand them, we think we know how they go or how it goes, but in actual fact, we're off. And so as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, the author of life, the author of life, Jesus is inviting us to come and sit at his feet, gather around, and he wants to teach us. He wants to teach us how this song, how the story of God really goes. So let's pray, and then we will uh, we'll jump into Sermon on the Mount. Lord, thanks for your, uh, your presence here. Thanks so much. Just uh, as we were worshiping this morning, it just what we are singing just stirred my heart. And it's like, the, as I sang and just these truths about how wonderful you are of your love, your power, etc. it's like a lot, the fear just seemed to wash away. The anxiety, the things that were weighing me down just, just fell off. And I pray today as we just continue in that stream of your presence, that Jesus, you would come and teach us. Lord, teach us, renew our minds, renew our hearts, soften our hearts. Uh, we welcome you here In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for the note takers, uh, uh, number one in your notes will be setting the stage. Setting the stage. So as we're getting, as we're ramping up to Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, this is real quick, Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water, and as soon as he comes out of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he's going to duke it out with the enemy and and he's out there for 40 days and and it's a time of testing and and really I think a lot of it's getting him ready for what's next and what's next is Jesus is going to go public. And so we read in Matthew 4, verse 16, 17, it says this. It says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, that's Jesus. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus is off, off and running on his public ministry, and first thing out of his mouth is repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And and so he is declaring the kingdom of God, but he doesn't just declare it. Jesus right away starts to also demonstrate the kingdom of God. He starts to demonstrate what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in to the kingdom of this world. Well, what happens is this Matthew 4 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Do you think that stirred things up? I think that would have just, it would have, well, we're we'll going to see in a second here. It just, it totally set the, you know, all around Jerusalem, people came running. Who is this guy? And one of the things I want to point out here uh, when we look at the example of Jesus is Jesus didn't just talk about the kingdom of God. He also demonstrated the kingdom of God. And just as a side note, that is one of the reasons why here at the vineyard, at the end of a sermon, uh, in our small groups, we're always taking time, making time to pray for one another. Because we don't want to be a church that just talks about the love of God. And the power of God, and the you know, the the, the healing of God, all those things that, that we, we say over and over and over. We don't just want to talk about it. We also want to make room for God to demonstrate his power and his love, etc. So Jesus comes declaring, he comes demonstrating, and again, just imagine, just imagine what that would have been like. It says that he was healing every disease every sickness long before social media long before you know telephones word about jesus would have spread like wildfire can you imagine if you saw that happen and someone you knew and loved was sick what would you do <laughs> you would go running uncle joe you know you got to you got to come see this jesus he can help you etc and so what we see at the end of chapter 4 is people droves of people flocking to this guy jesus and chapter 4 ends with uh, basically saying, and Jesus was followed by large crowds of people. And that brings us to chapter five. And so let's look at the first two verses. It says, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, and it would have been you know, thousands of people, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus uh, really takes the posture of, of a first century rabbi. He was up on a hill plops himself down, and it's, you know, it's a hillside, it's a natural amphitheater, and and he begins, he begins to teach, and the fact that it says he began to teach them is an indicator to us as the readers that, oh, well, if Jesus has come to teach us, that must mean there's something we don't know, that must mean there's something that we need to learn, and so as we embark on this series in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to come into it Take the posture of a student. The teacher is here, and he wants to teach us. And we need to learn what he's he's teaching. And let me ask you this question. In this story, who is Jesus teaching? Who is he teaching? Who said that? Disciples. He's teaching his disciples. Now, now that's important, right? Jesus is speaking to, to his followers. And like in Matthew 4, I didn't say this. In Matthew 4, it says, before the Sermon on the Mount starts, he called the first four disciples. In the book of Luke, the timing's a little different. He called all the, the, the 12 disciples before he got into the Sermon on the Mount, but either way, Jesus calls to himself his disciples, his followers, and he's gonna teach them. Now, all these other people are, are, are listening in, but this is important. If you call yourself a Christian, another, way, another word for that is a, you know, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. If you call yourself a Christian, this sermon is intended for you. And why is that important? Well, that's important because of the purpose of this sermon. That this, uh, the, the primary purpose of this sermon is on redefining the law. That's why we're calling the series uh, Redefined. It's on redefining God's rules. It's like, you know, Jesus is coming to his people, sort of like I did uh, with this worship leader. He's coming to this people and he's saying, hey, you guys, hey, hey, you think you know what God wants? You think you know the intent of God's heart. You think you know what, what, what God means by thou shalt not and thou shalt. You're close, but you're off. And so I have come to teach you. See, the, the purpose of this sermon for us as God's followers, like it, it's not sort of loading us up to become global referees. And here's what I mean by that. You'll notice in the, in the story, Jesus doesn't say, hey, disciples, come sit with me. Come sit here on the hill with me. Now you see those people, those worldly people. You see them, now listen up, because I'm gonna give you guys the rules, and everyone gets a whistle, but I'm gonna give you guys the rules, and I want you now to go forth and be my global referees. That I'm loading you up so that you can, hey, you're out of line, you're out of line, you're out of line. Like is that, that was not the purpose of this talk. See, he's teaching us, because his purpose is, his purpose is, he wants his people to reflect his heart to the world accurately. See, the plan of God has always been to call to himself a people, a chosen people, a holy people. And holy means a people that are set apart, people that are different, people that are different from, from this world, people that are, that are citizens of his kingdom, people that, uh, uh, who live their lives to the beat of, of his drum, Not to the beat of the culture's drum or to the beat of our own personal's drum. Personal drums, if you know what I mean. Uh, And and it's a people who love him and who love what he loves. Meaning, uh, rescuing other people. And here's God's rescue plan. God's plan is to show the world through you and through me what it looks like when a human being is in a relationship with God. His plan is for people to look at you and to see God in you and to want what you have. That's the plan. But what happens though, when, you know, us as God's ambassadors, when we're reflectors of God to the world, what happens when you can't tell the difference between a follower of God and someone who isn't a follower of God? Dun, dun, dun. I mean, you've got a problem, don't you? There's a problem. And we need need to be taught then. There's something that we need to learn. Jesus says in John 13, 34, and this really sums up the whole Sermon on the Mount. He says, so now, he's speaking to his followers, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples What is Jesus saying, and what do we need to learn right off the bat? Is He's saying, you know, it's not really so so much a question of how much you know; it's a question more, as my followers, of how much do we love? I mean, have you ever considered that, uh, as Christians, the way we act, the way we live our lives, uh, that it has a direct impact on God's reputation in the world? Like that's a heavy, that's a weight. That's a responsibility, isn't it? I remember, I think this, here, here's an example. I remember one time I was driving on uh, 270 right around Easton. It was in the morning. It was rush hour traffic. It, it was in the wintertime. It had snowed the night before. So you know what it's like in the, you know, uh, uh, we are crawling along. And there's just solid, it's like a parking lot. And we're, you know, just easing along because nobody wants to go too fast, and, which is probably wise. But we're crawling along, and, and I'm in this huge line of traffic, and I look up in the lane beside me, and I look like four cars up, and I see a car with British Columbia license plates. So British Columbia, it's in Canada, which is north of here, and it's, it's the most western province where we moved here from. And BC plates say beautiful British Columbia. And I'm driving along, and I see that, and it just grabs my heart. I'm like, no way. What are the chances of somebody from British Columbia to be driving in Columbus, Ohio? And so I, you know, we're not going very fast, but I start really riding the rear end of the guy ahead of me because I'm trying to catch up because I want to say, hey, hey, I'm BC. We speak the same language. And so I pull up and I uh, get up beside this guy. And this is exactly what I saw. Uh, There was a young guy driving the car. He had the windows down, which makes sense. He's Canadian. It's winter. He had the windows down. He had music cranked up, and he was yelling at the top of his lungs, and he was mad. And I looked at him like, what? And 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 uh, the first thing that went through my mind and quickly came out of my mouth was this: is I'm I'm literally right beside this guy. I had my window down because it was winter time. No, I had my window down because I wanted to get his attention, and I literally yelled at him. I said, "Stop it! You're making us look like a bunch of idiots." Right, the way you're acting right now, you've got British Columbia plates on, everyone's gonna see that and think, boy, Canadians, boy, they're a bunch of hot-headed nutcases. Like, people are gonna look at you, and they're gonna go, who wants to go to Canada? Does that make sense? That's exactly what I thought, I literally was honking my horn and yelling at him, and he totally ignored me. (laughs) And I thought, and that is not typical of Canadians, by the way. Maybe, probably. But here's the point of that. That may be an extreme example, but I think it's accurate. I think it's accurate that we need to sit up and listen to what Jesus has to say in this Sermon on the Mount because, because we are called to be reflectors of him in the world. We don't, you know, You may not have a British Columbia license plate on you, but at some point people are gonna see, oh, they've got a Christian plate, if you will, and, and the question would be, how are we reflecting God to the world? Well, that's where Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount has come to teach us. So that is setting the stage. Uh, number two. Number two in your notes is the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And that may be a word you're not familiar with, but uh, I'll explain that in, in a second here. But there are eight Beatitudes this morning. I hope to cover the first four. Uh, and the first four Beatitudes primarily focus on our relationship with God. And then next week, Andrew is going to look at the next four, which primarily focus on our, uh, our relationship with each other. So let me read the first four. It's quick. It's a small section. Uh, it's where we're going to be the rest of the morning. Matthew 5, 3, and 6 says that, 3 to 6 says this. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, We get the word beatitudes. I I didn't know this till I was studying for this talk. Uh, We get the word beatitudes from the Latin word beatis, which means blessed. And that should jump out at you because if you notice, all eight of the beatitudes start with The word blessed, and maybe in your Bible it says happy. Uh, The Greek word for blessed can also be translated as happy. And so, right off the bat, here's the Sermon on the Mount. You know, everyone's sitting down, Jesus is teaching his followers, and right off the bat, he basically says, Hey, you guys, let me tell you, let me tell you in this life who the truly happy people are. And then he gives the weirdest list. They are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are the happy, blessed people in this life. And I don't know about you, but I look at that, that list and I go, really? That doesn't look like a a bunch of people that I would put out of the category of happy or blessed. I would look at that group of people and think, you know, that's a group of people that would be sad that's a group of people that are to be are to be pitied. If I was going to say, if I was going to write the beatitudes and maybe if this if you're going to write the beatitudes it would be and really from our culture in our culture it would be blessed are the rich. Blessed are the beautiful. Blessed are the talented. Blessed are the successful. Blessed are the married. Blessed are those with kids. Blessed are those with kids who are rich, beautiful, talented, successful, on and on and on. I mean, think about it. I mean, just answer that question in your head. How would you, if you were going to answer the question, who, who are the blessed people? Who, is, who are the truly blessed people in this life? You know, blessed are the, what would you say? Right? I think, but I, here's what I know is our culture is the opposite, is the opposite of what Jesus is saying. The, you know, the list he gives really are like sad and hard things. And maybe for some of you, if you've read the, the, the Sermon on the Mount of the, these Beatitudes before, maybe for some of you, if you were honest, you would say it confirms to you, or in you, to you, your belief that God is cruel. Right? Maybe it confirms to you that he is just this mean sort of you know, guy who somehow takes, takes gets some sort of benefit out of watching us squirm and struggle in this life. Or maybe to you it confirms that God is the cosmic, ultimate killjoy. And he doesn't want anyone having a good time. Don't you have a good time? Or I'm sending you to Africa as a missionary. You know, maybe that's what goes off in you, but but a good question to ask would be, okay, Jesus, why? Why would you say that list of people are blessed? Why would you say that list of people are actually the happy people? Well, I'm gonna give you an answer. And then I'm going to explain it, all right? So remember a little bit ago I said to you that the first four beatitudes <clears throat> deal with our relationship to God. So here's my answer. Why are these people blessed? Why does he call them the happy people? Because what we see in the in the first four beatitudes is this. In the first four beatitudes, we are given descriptions of people who have come to the end of themselves. And in coming to the end of themselves, they have found God. And that's why they're blessed. That's why they're happy. Let me read that again. In the first four Beatitudes, we are given descriptions of people who have come to the end of themselves, and in coming to the end of themselves, they have found God. And because of that, they truly are blessed and happy people. You, I'm, I can tell in the room, you're like, ah, I don't, we don't believe you. Okay, let me keep going. Let me explain. So the Bible is super clear. The Bible makes it clear that when, he, when God created uh, man and woman, male and female, humanity, when he made us, Adam and Eve, think back to Genesis, when he made us, his plan was that we would live in a perfect, beautiful, wonderful relationship with him and with each other. That was his plan. It was paradise. And and in order for this plan to work, what made it work from our perspective as the created to our creator, what made it work was our complete submission and, and really our joyful submission to God as the boss. And as long as our posture, as long as we stayed in that place of that's right, you're the boss, we trust you to lead us, we trust you to look after us, on and on and on. As long as we stayed in that place, everything was beautiful. It was Eden the Garden of Eden. It was wonderful. It was paradise, but it didn't last for long because Genesis 3, this question of who's the boss was used by our enemy, by the devil, to tempt us. He, he, he sort of brought that question up. Hey, 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 do you, I think you're missing out on something here. And it got us off balance and it put us in this vulnerable place where humanity, we made a decision. Yeah, hey, we want to be the boss. We want to be the ones you know making the calls and making the, the decisions on what 's best for us, and on and on and on, so we made this decision in Genesis three that we 're going to be the boss, and our relationship what we are meant you know what, uh, the relationship we were meant to be in was severed and let me ask you this: how has it worked for us I mean just think just think of history. Think of, I mean, think of the Old Testament, roll it into just the history of the world. Has it not been a complete and utter mess since that time? Well, yes, yes, of course it has. And that's why I started with Matthew when I read Matthew 4, 16, 17. I was really foreshadowing and setting up for this point. Let me read it again, but this time it's from a different perspective. It says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Why I want to go circling back on this, you can see what I've underlined there. When we separated from God, when we said, hey, we don't want you to be the boss, we want to be the boss, we were standing with Tony Danza, we want to be the boss. Thank you. This is a great description of what it's like when a human being is the boss. What is it like? It's like living in darkness. It's like living in darkness. What does that mean? Well, it's like when you're in, when you're in the dark, what are you doing? You're stumbling around. You're unsure of what's around you. You're, you're unsure of your next step, right? You're, you're, off, you're off balance. You're disoriented. You're lost, right? And, and let's be honest. Does that not describe our lives, your life, my life. Are there not times in your life when you feel like you're in the dark? There's a decision to be made. There's something that's come your way. It's just, just the stuff of life where you're like, you, you, don't, you don't know what the next step is because you, you can't see what the next step is. And that's a great description of what it looks like when we grab the reins, when we're the boss. And the only way out of darkness is you need light. You need light to find the way. So enter Jesus. Enter the light of the world. He has come to rescue us. He has come to get us back to what we, are, what we disconnected from, to get us back to our place with God. And that's why he said, that's why, the, think about this, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth when he came upon humanity wasn't, now listen up. I mean, that's not what he said. He said was, hey, everybody. We didn't say, hey, everybody. His first word was repent. And whenever you hear the word repent, think 180. Think 180 degrees. Repent means you're walking the wrong way. You need to do a 180 and you need to walk the other way. You're walking away from God. Turn around, you need to walk towards God. It's also in our minds, in our thoughts. Repent means to change the way you're thinking. He's like, you're going the wrong way and you're thinking the wrong way. Repent. You need to turn around. You need to come back. And Jesus has come now to teach us, to teach us and to remind us that true life what we're trying to find is we're running away from God. All this, What we're trying to find, this true life can only be found in what we are created for and that's a relationship with God. Listen to this quote. Uh, it says, God made us, invented us as an engineer invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our our way without bothering about faith and relationship with him. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. We were made to run on him and nothing else, nothing else will satisfy, nothing else will give us life, and you know what, as I was reading that quote, and I love C.S. Lewis, uh, as I was reading it, I thought, you know, but isn't it weird, isn't it weird, you read that quote, and yeah, we were made to be in relationship with you, we were made to be connected with you, isn't it weird that even though we know what I just read at some level, you know, even though we know at some level, like, yeah, I just can't do it here, I need help. I need God to help me in this area of my life. Even though we know that, even though we see in our lives, in our relationships, in our bodies, in our bank accounts the damage from lives lived in darkness, even though we see that, even though we've we've, you know, we've tasted of God's light and God's life. Even though we've tasted it, isn't it amazing that we still struggle to let him be the boss? Would you agree? We still struggle to let him have control. And so what does it take to, you know, uh, to pry our hands off the steering wheel of our lives? What does it take? Well, what it takes is we need to come to the end of ourselves. We need to, like the prodigal son sitting in pig slop, if you're familiar with that story, we need to come to the end of ourselves. And I don't know about your life, but I know in my life, that's when I have been willing to go, okay, I'll let go. Because right? a lot of times I've got one hand in the wheel, I'm like, I'll hold your hand, Jesus, but can I still drive? He's like, no, because you keep crashing the car, and your insurance rates just keep going up. Right? There's no accident forgiveness. Well, there is. Whoa, that was bad. There is. There totally is. <clears throat> but what I'm saying is, it's us coming to the end of ourselves that brings us to that place of saying, okay, uncle. Uncle, you lead. And so, in the first four Beatitudes, this is what we see. And I'm going to wrap it up here by going through these four pretty quickly, auctioneer like. But it's in these first four that we see these are people who have come to the end of themselves and they've found God. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say, blessed are the poor people. It says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's something internal. That's like this inner brokenness, this inner bankruptcy. It's, and the Greek word for poor actually means beggarly poor. Like this is someone who you have blown it, blown it, blown it, blown it, blown it, blown it, and now you have nothing. Nothing and no one. You are in a place, you are in a place that that where you've come to the end of your means, your abilities, your plans, your ways. You are broken inside. And you can't do it. You need help. Now, it's hard to imagine. I mean, think of someone like that. Think, maybe it was a time in your life. Maybe it's right now in your life where you feel I've, that, you, that you are at that poor in spirit. You're in, you're, there's this poverty inside, this, this like, uh, emotional bankruptcy, if you will. It's hard to imagine how someone in that place could be blessed could be called blessed see the world what does the world say to someone who has blown it blown it blown it blown it blown it at some point what do we say enough you're useless right you're we're you're you're you know you're washed up nobody wants you I mean there's just there's just people that we are so quick and it seems increasingly in our culture we're so quick to discard people who can't get it together who can't fix themselves And we're so quick to scroll. That's what what the world says. But Jesus says to that person, hey, you're blessed. It's like, why would he say you're blessed? Because as long as you think you can do it on your own, your self-sufficiency will be something you trip over every time the question of who's the boss comes up in your life. But now your poverty of spirit, your end of yourself makes way for Jesus to take charge to be the boss. Does that make sense? I hope so. And see, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus is is yet again hanging out with the wrong people. It's something you see constantly in the life of Jesus. And you constantly see the religious people, you know, pointing at Jesus and just criticizing the fact that he's doing it. There's a story in Mark 2 uh, where it says this. It says, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, hey, come here, come here, come here, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them. I, you know, I picture him sitting at the table and he overheard the, the, that question at the window and I heard, Jesus sort of turns and I think he yelled this. Hey, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous and who have it all together, but those who know they are sinners. See, if you're poor in spirit, you have come to a place of knowing you're lost. You've come to a place in your life of knowing that you, you need help. And how does Jesus respond to someone like that? Jesus says, if you feel washed up, useless, discarded, he says you're blessed. And his response to you is, uh, the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? That's really invitation language. It's like adoption language. It's like, it's like Jesus saying to that broken, broken person, he's saying, oh, really, nobody wants you? And his response is, I do. I want you. I want you. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now it's strange, you look at that, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, another way of saying that would be, happy are the unhappy. And I'm like, no wonder we're always confused by what Jesus said. I'm like, that makes no sense at all. What, you know? Why do people mourn? Why is it that people mourn? Like if I was to stub my toe, would I go into mourning? I mean, no, I would probably go, oh, darn, and, and move on, right? That's not, why, that's not why you mourn. Why do we mourn? Well, there's a song. One of my favorite songs, one of many, is by a band you may be familiar with. It's a British band called Coldplay. And it's a song called Fix You. If you've never heard the song Fix You, go, go home today and, and uh, go on YouTube, listen to it. It is a beautiful song. And to, and to answer the question of why do people mourn, uh, here's a great answer. They say this in this song. It says, the tears come streaming down your face when you lose something you can't replace. That's a great picture of mourning. We mourn when we've lost something. We mourn when we've lost a loved one. We mourn as human beings when we've lost a friend, a friendship. We mourn when, when we've lost abilities in our body. You know, you're getting older or you've, you know, you've had an accident, you've damaged them and now you can't use your arm, you lose the loss. You, we, learn, we, we mourn the loss of our mental capacity Right? We we mourn those things. We've lost those things. We mourn the loss of of opportunities, of dreams that we had, of plans that we had. We, We mourn because there's something or someone that gave us hope, gave us joy, gave us comfort, gave us life. Now they're lost. It's gone. And I believe that those who mourn are blessed. Because when we mourn in this life, when we mourn the big things in this life, when we mourn the little things in this life, I believe it helps us get in touch with our greatest loss, which is the loss of our relationship with our Father, with our Creator. And the stuff that we're dealing with on the horizontal, the pain of it, it it really helps us to see, oh yeah, you know, actually it's way deeper than this. It's what I'm really mourning. There's a, you know, it's the death, it's the pain, it's the, it's all the things that we weren't supposed to be living with. This is not God's plan that people are dying and getting cancer and all these hard, hard things in life. It's, you know, we mourn and we get in touch with, we see the effects of sin in our lives, the sin in the world, just the yuck of the enemy, and we mourn and it gets us in touch. With that greater loss, and you know, it's really one of the reasons. And this might be a funny way to put it, but it's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing funerals more than weddings. And what I mean is, when you're doing a, a wedding, wedding, weddings have like this fairy tale vibe. It's just not reality. It's pretty out of touch. I mean, it's wonderful, and food's good, but but a funeral, a funeral is raw and honest. And there's something beautiful when you've got a room full of people who are mourning, who are in touch with eternal things, life after death. They're in touch with the more important questions of life than the color of the bridesmaid's dresses. There's something real. There's something super honest. You know, and when we talk about mourning, I think sometimes the world would say to those who mourn, you know, you're right, this isn't fair. This is so unfair, and typically when it comes to mourning, God bears the brunt of this. It isn't fair. He isn't fair. So the world would say to those who mourn, you need to get bitter. You need to get angry, or you need to check out. Uh, But Jesus says to those who mourn, he says, you know what, you're blessed, and here's why you're blessed. Because your pain has removed all the props and distractions that blind you to how hopeless your human situation really is and to what you really need. And it's him. See, it's our mourning that literally clears our eyes and and helps us to see clearly, more clearly, the reality of life and the reality of God. So if you're mourning, Jesus doesn't leave you in your mourning. He says, if you're mourning, he says, those who mourn are going to be comforted. Jesus says, I will comfort you. But you know what's interesting? He doesn't say for those who mourn, He that I will fix everything now that I'll take this hard thing and I'll make it right. He doesn't say that, but he says that I will comfort you, I will be with you. I gotta keep going here. Number three, numero trois. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word meek, what goes off in my mind is weak. Meek equals weak, right? Or meek equals passive you know, maybe even wimpy, but that is not what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the meek. The, the Greek word uh, for meek, it can also be translated as, as, uh, as gentle, and that word would often be used in the context of the breaking of a wild horse. And I think this is so, this is so interesting. What it means is you've got this wild, out-of-control horse That really is useless to us. He just, you know, I'm a whatever horse that he just, he's just wild running around. And and what it means is that you've got this wild, out of control strength that is now meek. That is now under control, under the control of a master. So what I'm saying to this is that a a meek human, I'm not saying that we're like broken horses because that's kind of a funny picture, but there's a similarity. In the case of a human, Their will isn't broken from them. Our will isn't taken from us like a horse. Our will is loved from us. Does that make sense? When we come in contact with our maker, our true master, it is his love that leads us to surrender to him. It's not his whip. So Jesus is saying someone who is meek, a human being who is meek, is someone who has come to the end of themselves and their wild ways. And what I mean by that is, you know, basically being the boss of yourself. And someone who is now chosen to and is willing to be uh, to become meek. Someone who is now chosen to is willing to be under the control of the master of God. That is a meek person. And as Westerners, we don't get that. That is so not our nature the world would say that, that to the meek, to the, they would say, no, don't be meek. You need to fight back. You need to, you know, you can't be pushed around. You need to use your strength, use whatever you can to further your agenda, right? To get what you want, to get what you need. And Jesus says, no, no. Jesus says to the meek, you're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because your wild, rebellious, self-serving, destructive nature has been broken by my love. And now you are free to live a life of obedience to the one who made you, loves you, and knows what's best for you. And God's response to the meek person who is, who is willing or you know, who has or who at least is willing to submit to his leadership, God's response is that, is that the meek will inherit the earth. And that's speaking about provision. right? God's saying, look, if you submit to me, I will look after you and everything you need. You don't have to fight for it, you don't have to scheme for it. You don't have to. You can trust me to look after you. I'm gonna keep moving. Uh, The final one, I think, yes, (laughs) number uh, the fourth one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And what we see here again, the whole time I've been driving home that it's we're looking at people who have come to the end of themselves. And what we see here is a person, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's a person who's come to the end of their own pursuits of feeding their needs. Right, and that they're now instead of hungering and thirsting for the ways of the world to satisfy them, to feed that hunger that we all, and I'm not talking about food, I'm talking about identity, purpose, am I loved? I mean, why am I here? All these deep, deep things, what do I do? that instead of looking to the world to feed them, this is someone who has tasted of, of, the, of, of, God, of the love of God, who has tasted of something of God, and it's like that taste of God has changed their palate. And now what they hunger and thirst for is his righteousness, his ways, his ways of living life, his ways of doing things. And, and we, you know we really see this in the, remember the woman at the well? That's a great example. The woman at the well was, was feeding herself by lots of things that the world had to offer. In her case, it was relationships. I can't remember right now. Did she have five husbands? And the man she was with now wasn't her husband? And she is hungering and thirsting for something, but it's not being fed, is it? And then she has this one encounter with Jesus. Jesus. And he says to her, this is John 4, 13, he says to her, hey, hey anyone who drinks this water, and he's, you know, he's, he's probably pointing at the well, but he's talking about the water of this world and all that it can offer. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Again, it becomes like a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And her response, if you remember, the story is, oh, give me that water. That's what I need. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The the response of God to anyone who says, no, I'm gonna look to you to feed me. His response is that I will will not only feed you, I will satisfy you. So I'm gonna stop there. Urch, really abrupt start. One, because of the time. Two, because this is really part one. And next week, Andrew will will correct anything I said wrong and... He will do the next part, but here's why this is important. Next weekend, Andrew's going to be looking at the next four Beatitudes, which really come into uh, the way Jesus wants us, is calling us to treat each other. And it's so important that if we don't, uh, unless we first get in touch with and really think about these first four, our relationship with God, it's important that we think about these first four first, because if, if you haven't experienced God wanting you when no one else wants you, if you haven't experienced God meeting you, comforting you in your deepest pain, if, if God, the, you know, God's presence in your life hasn't brought you to this place of, a, of being willing to submit to him, let him be the boss, if, if those haven't taken root in you, the next four are gonna be really hard because the principle of the Bible, the principle of God is, look, freely you need to receive first, so then you can freely give. You won't be able to, we won't be able to truly love the way, people says, the way Jesus says to love people until we've received his love. So why don't we all stand up? We'll stop there. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we've got a little bit of time here. I said this earlier that we don't just wanna be a church that talks about the ways of God. We wanna be a church that makes room for God to demonstrate that. So I just want us to quiet ourselves for like 43 seconds and just listen and just wait in the Lord so if it helps you to close your eyes, so you're not distracted, if it helps you to open your hands just a posture of receiving and if your mind wanders like mine, I just encourage you, you can you can say it out loud in your mind just to keep saying come holy spirit because that's what we all need right now is what he has to give us. So, so Holy Spirit, I do. I, I ask that you would come. As your people, we just, it's, I just see this picture of us just, us just stepping back and saying, you take the floor. What do you want to say? What do you want to do right now? So just come, Holy Spirit. Come and teach us. Come and feed us. Come, Lord. Hmm. Come, Holy Spirit. You are the source of life. We were made to be filled with you, empowered by you. This is something I'm really trying to grow in is hearing God's voice. It's just saying, okay, what do you want to do? I mean, way beyond the music and the message, really, what we need is what what, what he wants to give us. And so here's the, I had three pictures. One of them was, and I guess the first two are sort of tied in now that I think about it. One of them was, I saw this person, You just kept running into the wall, into the wall, and running into the wall. And it was just a picture of, of. Uh, uh, well, I guess just, just well, what was that picture now? Isn't that amazing? It was a picture of someone who, um, was just lost and, and was going the wrong way. And, 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 and you kept, and what, you know, you were trying to figure it out on your own, but what you kept running into was a wall. And really, that wall is a gift to you because it's God's way, really, of helping bring you to the end of yourself so that you would stop and ask Him what He wants. So, that, so if, that affects, if that's you, I would, I'm going to invite you forward for prayer in a sec. I saw someone who sat down at the kitchen table and drank. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't something we're supposed to drink as humans, it was something like almost like poison. And it really was that picture of, of someone who you are trying to find purpose, identity in something that is doing you damage. It might be relationships. It might be, you know, just work. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what it would be. I, just, I guess I just trust the Lord to make that clear to you. But, but God's saying, son, daughter, you need to stop that. You're going to hurt yourself. Um, and then the third one was, this was during worship. I just looked around the room and I saw just a bunch of people, and I, and, I, and, it was, and I just saw people taking this step forward, and I, and I believe there are people here today that God has been speaking to you, and he's been inviting you into something new to take a step forward, and that could be at work. Maybe there's something new at work. Maybe it's, it's, it, it's not just in spiritual things. It's in life. He's inviting you into something new that, that would be new to you that you're gonna need his help to do, so I know that's kind of general, sort of, but if that's you, uh, those three people, I want to invite you forward.
0: Did you have something to do? I could see it. Go for it. Can you hear me? Yeah. I I just had a couple quick things. Um, I felt like um, during worship, we sang a song called Reckless Love. And there's a line in there uh, that says, he leaves the 99. And there was somebody here today who who thought in their mind, I think there's at least one person who says, that might be true for everybody else, but not for me that God wouldn't leave the 99 for me. And if you thought that during that, I would encourage you to come forward mm-hmm. in prayer because I think God wants to touch you and show you that actually he very much would leave the 99 for you. And yeah. the second thing is, I felt like God's highlighted the number three, that there are three people in here who um, have not mourned something in their life and, mm-hmm. and, you, and you've just kind of avoided it. And I didn't get, it could be a, it could be a loss of a person, like a, a death, but I didn't get that sense. I got the sense that it was something else. Michael gave a lot of examples of mourning mourning a job, mourning a uh, loss of a relationship, mourning, mourning something, and, then, and it, you've been avoiding that, and it may have even been a long time ago. And, but God is saying, we, I wanna do some things with, I wanna bless you, I wanna help you move through that. He wants mm-hmm. to come for you, like it says in that. So, If any of those apply, um, come forward yeah. for that too. That's great. So yeah, what Andrew
1: just said, what I said, or if there's just pain, or if you need help, come to Jesus, come uh, forward for prayer and give God an opportunity to demonstrate his love and his power. So come on up. Let's make sure everyone's prayed for and uh, then we'll end off the service.